Today, we'll discuss ancient shamanic practices and curanderismo soul retrieval. Hi, it's Cheryl Sitz here with a brand new conscious conversation on exploring possibilities. We broadcast to you on journeyofpossibilities.com, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, and now on YouTube slash Cheryl Sitz. By the way, this show is going to be going to twice a month beginning in September. Same channel distribution and just wanted to let you know that. And we'll be chatting with Erika Buenaflor in just a moment. So this week, I recorded a couple of brief 15-minute interviews for a client of mine, and she wanted to put media, interactive media like that on her website to let people know more information about what she does. I thought that was a brilliant idea. We could do that for our listeners. What else can we do for our listeners, Mario? Well, that's the beautiful thing about who we are. It's like we actually have the capability to put you on the internet in every way. I mean, we can put you on Instagram, we can put you on Facebook, we can put you on YouTube, and give you some pointers of how to do it. I had somebody the other day say, well, I've never done a YouTube live. I don't know how to do it. We can teach them that. Yes, definitely. That's one of the things uh, because we, the way you and I work, we like to empower everybody. So rather than them relying on us, I mean, we can do that for them for the few first few ones, but we really want you to take charge of it and you can see what all is involved. We do it with our energy work, we do it with our coaching, and we do it with our online skills. We empower you to reach more people and make a bigger difference. Contact us, CherylSitz.com and MarioRosales.com. Erika Buenaflor is passionate about helping us realize our bliss. With over 20 years as a practicing curandera, she mentored with curandera and shaman in the Maya Yucatan jungle, Peru and L.A., and studied Mesoamerican curanderismo in academia. She has a master's in religious studies focusing on Mesoamerican shamanism from the University of California at Riverside. Her website is realizeyourbliss.com, and she joins us now. Welcome, Erika. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. So glad to have you with us today. I appreciate you creating some space in your calendar to visit with us. Thank you for having me. So I love your book, and I'm so... Excited to jump into it. But before I do, I'd really like to get to know a little better how you were drawn into this path that has been both academic and experiential for you around shamanism. Well, it's actually, um, it comes from my family. Um, I, I come from a long line of grandmother uh, curanderas. My great-great-grandmother was a very well-known curandera um, in Chihuahua, Mexico, during the Mexican Revolution. She was a businesswoman. She owned a saloon and she was a curandera. <laughs> so there's all these amazing stories about her and the family. And um, my great-grandmother also was in the tradition. Um, my grandmother actually became a nurse. But nonetheless, I was still very much exposed to that as growing up. Um, and when I came here, I'm first generation. When I came to the States after my father passed away, I, I was a little bit disassociated from my culture, so to speak, because I came at a time where it wasn't, um, it wasn't looked favorably uh, to look, to speak in Spanish, um, at all in any way. So now it's, it's a little bit more popular to speak in Spanish, um, (laughs) and other languages as well. Yes. So when I got to college, um, I was, I, I was very fortunate to be around some very progressive, uh, Chicanx, uh, studies professors who, encouraged encouraged all of us to get in touch with our with our background with our history with our indigenous roots and along with our mexican culture as well and you know the history of it and it was something that i had never been exposed to on a cultural slash academic level you know it was very um 
it was like come here and quickly assimilate kind of thing. Right. Um, so it was it was something like, oh my god, I love my culture. My culture is awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like it was it was actually my part of that was my soul retrieval too. Yeah, and that that's been an ongoing process for me as well. Um, and then you know I went to UCLA at the time where. They were uh, doing hunger strikes to have a Chicanx studies department because it was actually at the time nowhere did they have um, a Chicanx studies department. Now it's a little bit more accepted in schools, which is great. Um, but this was at the time they were doing hunger strikes. And I came after the hunger strikes, but it was still there was still a lot of activism, walkouts in the classes, a lot of a lot of social justice awareness. Um, so. I, that that very much influenced me. So my spiritual awakening happened with a lot of social justice issues. And I decided while I was in, in college, I'm like, I'm going to be an attorney. And I was very idealistic. And, you know, I still am, but in a very different level, I should say. And my second year in law school, the universe had something else in mind for me. I, I met my first two mentors down in the Yucatan. I, I went thinking that I was going to be going on a trip. Um, I got somewhat de derailed, so to speak. I met this gentleman who introduced me um, to my first two mentors, very unbeknownst. He called himself a gringo. We missed our flight. And he just it just it just happened. It was very synchronistic how everything happened. And um, and I remember my first limpia, which is a shamanic cleanse. One of my mentors at that time, Don Tomas, he looked at me. He's like, so, you know, me have, you know, uh, what are you going to be doing? And I told him, you know, I'm going to law school and I'm going to be doing social justice. And he looked at me and just started <laughs> kind of giggling. And he's like, you're not going to like it. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm just like, like thinking to myself, well, how does this gentleman know what I'm going to like and not like? Mm -hmm. he, just, he just met me, you know. <laughs> and and uh, he's like, you know, you're a curandera. Yeah. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but there was a part of me that I knew what, that he was saying was truth. Because, you know, I remember five years old and doing my first limpia. I make, I, rem I was making remedios, which are healing potions with herbs. You know, growing up, that's what I would do. I would get my mortar, my, my pestle and my mortar and mold things together. And I was very much, you know, very much already practicing growing up. For the first seven years, I actually went back to the Yucatan pretty much every four months. Um, and because I, I was, I was just, you know, I, I told myself I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing, but I just loved it. Um, so I was mentoring uh, with principally two mentors at that time. There were a few others that I met as well, but there were two principal mentors that I had at that time. And then in 2005, I was, you know, so was, I was already working as an attorney. I went to a work convention. I decided to go hiking after the work convention, and I did a very deep meditation trans meditation and I had a time slip. It like literally hours had gone by when I thought minutes had gone by and I jumped up and I didn't ground myself at this very deep meditation and I slipped and fell off a canyon. It was, Ooh. you know, way over 30 feet. And I woke up with a skull fracture, brain hemorrhage, left AC dislocated, two vertebrae in my back fractured. I completely shattered my coccyx Left leg, I fractured in three places, right leg, knee down, all of my bones shattered and came out of my heel. Um, I got severe osteomyelitis because when they put the bones back into my heel, they didn't do a culture. So they put my bones back in with, with the bacteria. So that Ooh. ate away. Six weeks later, they found out it ate away at half the bones in my, my ankle. Um, and, you know, so I, all those things they told me throughout, throughout that time while I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital for about a good two months. 
um, surgery after surgery, you know, they would tell me all these horror stories about my body. And one of the things that I did when I first learned of all of my injuries, I decided to embrace my don. And that's a term in curanderismo, in the curanderismo traditions. It means a gift of healing from God. Um, and I, I truly believe we all have it. It's just a matter of owning it and um, developing it and practicing it. I agree. So I, I decided, I said, you know, if I listen to what everybody tells me about my body, I am going to be handicapped for the rest of my life. So I decided to step and step into my power and embrace my bone. And I literally put into use, because I was in a wheelchair for almost a year, I put into use everything that I had learned as a curandera mentee, um, you know, everything that I had learned. And I applied it to myself. And long story short, after not walking for almost a year, I walked with a completely normal gait in less than two weeks. Wow. You know, and, you know, it was really interesting because during that time, you know, when I would have uh, like moments of crying, I wouldn't cry about like c being concerned about my, I knew my body, I knew I was going to be a-okay. I knew I was going to be 100%. I was going to be walking and dancing, everything like I used to. What I would cry about was thinking about going back to work as an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and it was a very time because I was telling myself at that time when I was doing it. I'm going to make this work. I love it. You know, very positive affirmations. Mm -hmm. But I knew at that time when I was crying about that, I just said, okay, there's something. And, you know, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do too. So that also didn't help as well. And we so, know that, right? We know when we're not doing when when it's our brain trying to convince us to do something instead of our heart going, oh, I love this. <laughs> well, you know, and it was also because at the time I was doing defense work too. Because, you know, it was it's very hard to go to when you go to law school to come out if you do want to do something good and get a job at a nonprofit right from the get go. Yes. You know, it's 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 not you. It's like winning a lotto. It really is. Um, so I was not really pleased with that. At the time, I was still working as a curandera. I was actually seeing people, too, as an attorney as well. Wow. So it was very it was very interesting. It was just a very interesting dynamic that I was mentoring and I was practicing and I was even teaching classes too. I'm so, trying to get an um, idea of what yeah, your very, what your sign very... might have looked like, like curandera, abogada. <laughs> like... <laughs> but you know, at the time I didn't identify myself as a curandera. It took oh. me a long time to embrace that. A lot of healing, a lot of healing to really, because I think it had a lot to do with also embracing my culture, myself, doing soul retrieval work. Um, because even in Mexico, you know, like the indigenous culture, it's, it's um, idealized, you know, by a lot of the murals that, you know, especially during the Mexican Revolution that uh, Diego Rivera painted. And But the truth of the matter is they are the ones that are in the deepest set of poverty in Mexico. Yes. And, and that's something that you see when, you know, growing up in Mexico, you know, for the first five, six years of my life, I saw that. You know, I saw the indigenous people begging at the borders and, you know, a, a lot of a lot of things that were said and. It just was one of those things of really healing a lot of um, paradoxes in, in, in the way that it, it's um, there a lot of disdain for a lot of the culture in many different ways. So I decided at that time, you know, because I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do and what it was going to look like. And I was very much, you know, it was very interesting because my grandmother, when she became a nurse, she did a turn. You know, she did a turn in the family and my mom was actually the first person in our family to go to college. And so was my father. 
So it was like, you're supposed to go to school. You're supposed to be a professional. Right. <laughs> that was part of my brain. So I thought to myself, you know, what if I went and I became a professor and I studied shamanism as a professor and I wrote about it, you know? And so I said, okay, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to try grad school. And I didn't know exactly what, but I, I was drawn to it because I went and I got um, a master's in religious studies. And during that time, I went and I pretty much dove myself into the codices, the um, ancient Mesoamerican records, you know, from the ancient shamans and how they did um, ceremonies and rites. And it, it, it just helped explain a lot to me of, you know, because my professors taught me a lot about the methodology, but sometimes they didn't explain to me why I was doing what I was doing or the history. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes I didn't know the questions to ask that would elicit certain responses from them. Right. So it was very, it was very powerful for me going back to school and really just involving myself in these ancient records and really bringing myself back to me. That's what, you know, I, I hope to do. And, and a lot of what I teach is not just bring these earth-based traditions back to us because, you know, I see a lot of people that are, uh, you know, a lot of depression. That's just, that seems to be an epidemic here, an endemic yes. here in, in the United States of depression. Yes. A lot of people on antidepressants. And one of the things that I see that's very common in the depression, people that have depression is they're not, they're very disassociated with things around them. They, they, they see them as things, you know, and it's very different in indigenous traditions. We see as house, as having an animated spirit, as having a spirit essence, our sacred tools. It's, it's a very, and, and you also can think of it like a mindfulness kind of living, a mindfulness kind of looking at things and appreciating things and connecting with things. So along with bringing back those beautiful traditions that I'm that I'm doing in my books is also, you know, also helping other people that were in my shoes to learn it. And and because a lot of us have been dissociated from our roots, our indigenous roots, from wherever we come from, is to embrace those beautiful traditions back into us. Well, and as... As you know, because I'm, I'm really preaching to the choir here, but in our past lives, we've probably been those cultures that seem foreign to us as well. So we might as well reach out and really embrace just the best of what we can bring forward from all of these ancient practices, because they're so beneficial for us in today's disconnected societies, like you're talking about the depression and the lack of appreciation and the and what you talk about so well in your book, the soul retrieval of those lost parts of ourselves from trauma and so forth that we can heal and bring forward. Definitely. Yes. Yes. What a journey you've had. I usually ask that (laughs) question and get these little answers, but lately I'm getting these big answers from people like, oh, well, let me tell you about my awakening. I jumped off a cliff or I've walked off the, it's been interesting what people are telling me is they've been through to have their big shifts and awakenings and and wow, to live through that and tell that story and then be able to bring forward what really matters most to you now. Talk to me about your book. What inspired, I know this isn't your first book, but this book is powerful. What inspired the writing of it? So, you know, when I started doing soul retrieval work, the first, back in 2000, um, yeah, it was 2002, actually when I took my first course in soul retrieval and I took many different types of soul retrieval courses. And one of the first ones I learned was basically you do a session and you bring back the soul piece right away on that same session. And I remember doing something similar with somebody who I, I admired 
you know, she, she was, uh, she was teach, she was teaching meditation. She was retired. And during our session, I saw, um, I saw that her daughter had come to her and told her that she had, she was being molested. And that man who was molesting her, um, she never asked him to leave the house. And what I saw as a result of that was her soul pieces were literally in so many different non-ordinary realms. They were what we call just splattered in different places. Mm-hmm. So in that session, we, you know, I, I, I retrieved them for her. You know, I facilitated that retrieval, I should say. And, you know, and after the session, I didn't know what, whether what I was seeing was literal or metaphorical. You know, so I just kind of just, I was very hesitant in telling her. And I, I told her, well, this is what I saw just very slowly. And she started crying. So I knew what I had seen had happened. We talked about it and she cried and she hugged me and she thanked me. But after that, I got excluded from her invites from her meditations. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And, you know, honestly, Cheryl, I was a little hurt. Yeah. I was a little hurt. So when I went and I told my mentor this, what had happened, she looked at me and she said, well, you know, because soul retrieval, this – we did this, the, this is something that's an ancient tradition from the indigenous people, right? Right. So when I told her what had happened, she looked at me and she said, you know, Miha, it doesn't work. It doesn't work always work that way. I know a lot of Westerners, you want everything quick. Take a <laughs> pill, make it go away. Quick, 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 quick. One session, boom, bam, bing, you're done. Yeah. It's like, no, Miha, you know, you soul retrieval, oftentimes it's a process. So she took me through a process. She taught me and she also did soul retrieval work for for me as well, facilitated that as well. And in the tradition, what it is, and it's it's something that, you know, there's many, there's many, many practices of of, of um soul retrieval practices among the indigenous peoples and curanderos and um curanderos. It's just so many different. One thing though that is common throughout is soul the soul is understood as a sacred essence energy. And this sacred essence energy, it's supposed to return back to us. You know, you know, when we start honoring, like, for example, you know, maybe we've been um, in a relationship that is that is very traumatic, you know, for whatever reason or a little traumatic. When we start honoring ourselves and taking care of ourselves and we start on, you know, living, you know, being in more healthy relationships, those pieces start coming back to us. But Oftentimes what happens or, you know, maybe it's that child that didn't hear what they need, something that they needed to hear that they never heard or didn't happen. If those pieces haven't come back, it's because we haven't acknowledged them. We haven't worked with them or we're repeating certain patterns that haven't really created that space for them to bring them back in. It's it's something that you understand. It's a process of discovering one is. So you work with these cardinal spaces and, you know, there's many, many terms in, in, you know, for example, you know, the Maya, they called them the, the Bacabs, the, the sky holders, the cardinal spaces. They were entities in their own right. And they were also, they had animal totems. They had spirit guides that are basically the teachers or the holders carrying that, that, that were representatives of those cardinal spaces. So it's believed that the sun and those five cardinal spaces being the south, the, the east, the west, the north, the center, they have they they emit sacred essence energy. 
So every time we work with them, whether it's in um, a ceremony and, and also including soul retrieval work as a ceremony, we literally get sacred essence energy. And especially when we recognize them, when we honor them, when we welcome them in. And that sacred essence energy is absolutely essential because sometimes if there's something that we're doing that we're not honoring ourselves, we need that energy to, to motivate us to keep going, you know? So one of the spaces you go to, for example, you start with, you know, in the book I talk about it, you start with the South. And you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you start with that all the time, but generally speaking, you most people start with the South because it's the space where you go to figure out, discover and understand what happened, right. what is going on. What, you know, why did that piece leave? When did it leave? And, you know, to be guided and to start connecting with that. And then the, the East is a space where you go to of death and releasing. When you figure out what habits, what patterns, what stories, what identities need to be released. So you create that healthy and loving space. The North is a space of ancestral medicine, guidance, wisdom. It doesn't necessarily mean our blood ancestors. It could be cosmic as well, star nation, star brothers, but it's guidance from the divine. And however however anyone sees it as the divine, whether it's nature or something. So it's curanderismo. It does require some kind of faith. And then the East is the space of new beginnings. So it's, and it's not necessarily linear where you go, you go from one space to another or cyclical in that manner. Sometimes it's you go back to another cardinal space, you revisit it, you go back, figure out, okay, what else do I need to release? There's something else I need to release because a lot of the times our traumas are complex. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, and they're interwoven with various factors. So it's it's about, you know, it's about treating it as a process and loving the process and loving ourselves as we're doing it rather than saying, okay, one session, boom, bam, bing, I'm done. I went through that too. When I started doing shamanic work, I wanted to move through my stuff and come on, let's get this done and get to the good stuff because I've had enough bad stuff in my life. And that was the biggest lesson of all for me was what you just said, loving myself and loving the process and allowing it to unfold one layer at a time in the order it wants to as as it wants to and kind of finding that balance for me where I'm continuing to move forward. I'm not stalling out and quitting on myself, but I'm not pushing myself so hard in that all-American got to get this done kind of attitude either. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So how does this work? So, so would you then say that someone might navigate it as approaching a trauma that they know is holding them back and then allowing the process to unfold the way that it best does for them and as to which directions and so on? You know, um, so, you know, yes, you could start that way. And I always encourage people to stay open because a lot of the times there's a lot of things that are in the, uh, in the crevices, so to speak. So what, what I encourage people to do, and, and this is, is part in the book. So those cardinal spaces, they basically give us medicine. They give us sacred essence energy. They give us teachings. They help us along the way. And the soul pieces, they reside, those lost, those, uh, lost soul pieces, they reside within what we call in tradition, as you may know, um, shamanic traditions, the non-ordinary realms. Yes. And that, that generally encompasses the upper world. And there's different levels within that, but there's the upper world, the middle world, and the underworld. 
the underworld being our inner world often. What I, I instruct people to do is just, you know, to first to go, and there's many ways I, I, I provide different ways of how to go into a trance journey. Um, and that's the first thing to start facilitating that and um, to connect. You know, if someone, if someone has something in mind, like, yes, it's related to this trauma, um, to be also be very open that je- oftentimes it's involved, it's um, convoluted or it's, it's complex and there's all these other factors along with it too. So what I, I encourage people to do too, because something that is um, also an ancient understanding that when sacred essence energy was breathed in, was it was it was basically we were you know it was breathed we were uh, we were given sacred essence energy. They were the creators, creatrix, whatever you want to call them. They breathe sacred essence energy into us, and when they did that, it got concentrated in certain parts of the body, and. Those certain parts of the body, you know, we call them generally, we call them chakras. You know, it's the popular term for it. It's a Sanskrit term, as you, as you know. Um, you know, and that's what's mostly known. And the indigenous people also understood that it was, under, you know, it was very similar. Very similar. It was not, they didn't call them chakras, of course. <laughs> what did they, <laughs> they call had, them? You know, I'm sorry? What did they call them? Well, they identified them, um, for example, the uh, the Nahuatl, the Central Mexican people, they understood them as Tonali, Teoli, and Ijoro. And it wasn't necessarily, it was concentrated, for example, in, and the Maya also was, it was very similar, it was concentrated in the crown, because in a lot of the Maya vases, you see, you know, when they're doing shape-shifting or when they're doing ceremonies, transforming into their animal spirit guides, you see them coming out of the, the head. Um, you know the the the, the crown. Yeah. You see, um, you see a flower, and a lot of the warriors in Chichen Itza, for example, resembling the Toltec on the crown. On the, I'm sorry, the the, the brow where the third eye is at. You know, where it's it's uh, visioning into that, right? Yeah. And you see also the the understanding of the breath, and it being sacred essence energy. So that can be thought of as generally like throat system, the lungs, and the heart. Was there was always the heart. Every everything was thought of the Teoli or the center was thought of the, 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 the heart. And then, um, you know, the other chakras too, it was like, it was understanding more, that's more like what the Nahuatl would say was the Ijiro. That was where the liver is at, the, um, it was the stomach area. So it resembles that. Um, it's a little different in terms of the terminology, and, the, and, and there's, there are some um, parallels there as well. Basically, those energy centers, what happens is, and this is also similar to, and this is how I learned it as well, was everything that has ever happened to us, that information is stored in our energy centers. And it, because certain, certain memories, just like, just like, just like, for example, if you're thinking happy, joyous, loving thoughts, that has a certain frequency, a certain energy. Similar, similarly, Certain memories also have frequencies and energies, and they also reside in certain energy centers as well, our chakras. And just to so, clarify, are you talking about everything that's happened to us across lifetimes or just... Yes. This? Okay. Yes. Yes. Everything that has ever happened to us in this lifetimes, dimensions, realities, everything. Gotcha. Everything. Everything. Um, you know, I'm definitely speaking on a quantum level, on a shamanic level. Okay. So... Everything that has ever happened to us is stored in these in these energy centers. And I give people like a, a map of what that looks like, 
what's generally, you know, some of the um, some of the issues that come up a lot and what what energy center to work with or, you know, plural energy centers as well, because sometimes it's a couple of them. And I encourage them to do breath work because the breath work also at the same time as we're calling on these cardinal spaces, it revitalizes us. It um, cleanses us. So it gives us that energy to go through the trans journey and therefore as well. And um, to also stimulate their energy centers before doing the journey. And then when they're doing the journey is most importantly is to connect with their intention and their question during the journey. And this is very important because sometimes in our journey work, we see a fragment of the answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what's really important, and sometimes, you know, we may, we may, not, we may not think we s- received anything tangible. You know, it's like, oh, well, I saw a color and a shape. I don't know what that is, you know. Or, you know, but it's, there's something there. So it's really important to approach it, you know, with a lot of humility and just be, you know, please and thank you, you know, help me to understand how to love myself, how I can help heal this part of me or resolve this and being with that in the journey and just being open heart about that. And if you're, you know, really flowing with the question, most importantly, and after the journey to continue doing your work, you know, continue doing the work you start in the morning. Um, you know, today I'm going to be open to discovering, understanding how to heal myself because basically what we're, we're also doing too is by stimulating those energy centers, the chakras, which are also connected to our subtle bodies, auric fields, also known as the auric fields, um, our epicenter, our core field, all those subtle energies around us. When we, it's like we're literally recording that message into our, and we're letting, recording that message, those questions into our fields. So what happens as the days go by and the weeks go by and fold, everything that is, because everything that is, is energy will help us to understand more of the answers to our questions and will interact with us. You know, and I have a lot of, you know, questions in terms of what you ask, what, what to focus on contemplative questions and a lot of, um, you know, cleanses to do things to do to complement that work. Because also what happens too, is the distinction, which a lot of us make of there being a sacred practice, you know, in our day-to-day practice, those worlds start to blend and start to merge where everything starts becoming and we start remembering that our reality is something beautiful and sacred and something to be loved and cherished. Yes. Oh, my heart's just singing over here hearing you say that life is a sacred (laughs) practice. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? Oh, I love it when the worlds blend. It's like, wow, how have I missed this? You know, how did I ever miss this? <laughs> well, just like this podcast, you are so informative in your book. And and I have to be honest, for anybody that hasn't looked at anything shamanic, it can be a bit much because you are very thorough with the upper world, middle world, lower world, the directions and how to use them, how to journey. I mean, this is a power packed handbook for anybody that wants to start to practice uh, with shamanic ritual, ancient practices and and bring the spiritual essence of life vividly into their lives. Um, where Do you get a lot of questions from the book? Is there a, a top question or two you'd like to address while we're chatting about it? 
I think the uh, well, the top question that I get is, um, you know, it it happens is how does the process work? <laughs> <laughs> Not a light and, question. <laughs> yeah, it's that's that's one of the top questions is how does the process work? And I, I I then turn to people and I and it's and it's a beautiful reminder of and I explain a little bit the process too and I was encouraged to is to treat everything that we do as a graceful process because I, you know, and it's still very much ingrained in a lot of us too. Cause you just said, it's very much the Western or American mentality of let's get this done. Yeah. Let's, let's get this done so we can get to the good stuff when we are in the good stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't it like the great cosmic joke? Oh, wow. I've been living it this whole time and I just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's one, um, and another one, too, is, you know, you asked me beginning in terms of what, so what motivated me to write the book? Because that's another question, too. And just to come full circle with that, um, I realized after that session and after learning this myself, um, and, and, you know, at the very beginning when I started offering soul retrieval sessions using this modality and using these ancient principles, you know, I would often get the question of, well, how long is this going to take? Can I do it in two or three sessions? And, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, you know, what, okay, what if I gave people tools so they, cause honestly I can, I can explain them and I can encourage them and give them homework and tell them how to do it, but give them more viable tools because a lot of the times the soul retrieval process, it often happens when they're not necessarily in a session. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I have a lot of clients text me, oh my God, I had something come back. Yeah. I feel great. I feel fantastic. And it just happened out of nowhere. I was at the grocery <laughs> store, right? <laughs> the laundromat. Exactly. And, ta -da. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, and that's really what inspired writing this book was, um, I wanted to give people more tools, you know, tangible tools that, you know, and, and, and I, of course I'm always here for them, whatever they need, but I also wanted to empower people so they know how to do these practices for themselves as well. Yes, that is, I believe, what this era is all about, not just our awakening, but coming home to empower ourselves to, to be the healers for ourselves that we're here to be first and, and learn those practices. So I, I just can't say enough great things about your book and the work that you're doing. And anybody that's listening to this has already figured out you definitely know what you're talking about. And you and you do it with a passion. So thank you for all that you're teaching and guiding us. Do you have any events where you're doing things with people live that you want to share with us now? Yes, so um, it's Saturday on the uh, 27th of July. I am doing a book signing at the Mystic Journey Bookstore uh, from 6 to 8 on Abbott Kinney. And then um, monthly, if you go to realizeyourbliss.com, I'm doing soul retrieval workshops. The next one is going to be on the 17th of August, um, and it's going to be monthly for the rest of the year. So, and we go to and we journey um, with all the cardinal spaces and work with them as well. So people get to experience and go to the journey and then they also do it in a community environment as well, which can also be very helpful too. Because in a lot of the times doing the soul retrieval work, we need community. We need yes. that. We need, it's so helpful to have someone to say, Hey, you got this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So are these live or are these online? Are these live events in person or can we do any of this work with you online? 
the um, the events that I just spoke of, the book signing, it's it's live, and the workshops they are live in person. Um, but yes, I'm I'm always available to do um, to do it, you know, Skype or phone or in person or, you know, yes, definitely. Um, but the the workshops themselves are actually um, yeah they're they're at a physical location um, at Crystal Matrix over in L.A. Los Angeles. Perfect. Well, don't be surprised if people fly in just for this experience, because listening to you, it's it's very inspiring. And for those of us that may not be comfortable just picking up the book and trying it all on our own, it might be nice to be able to go and do a workshop with you and, and experience that in a setting like that, and then pick up the book and try and maintain it. So it's nice to have different ways that we can learn this from you. Thank you, Cheryl. That's such kind words. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. Your book is very well written, and and I love the way that you speak and share this information. You've obviously sponged it all up, and now you're giving it to the rest of us, and we appreciate it. Um, I like to conclude my interviews, and I wish we weren't out of time, but we're running out of time soon. I want to ask you, we've talked about so many things now. Is there anything that we've missed first? Is there anything else that's on your heart you want to share with us? Yeah, you know, I I feel also too that working with our animal spirit guides is also something very um, important in the soul retrieval work. Um, and and a lot of the times too, people always ask me, well, how do I connect with my animal spirit guide? And I ask them, you know, pay attention because there's probably an animal that's trying to court you. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe that squirrel that's running over and trying to like run in the middle of the street getting your attention or that bird coming to sing yes. to you or that crow crowing to you or they have messages for you. Yes. Um, so just pay attention and, and they're trying to court you. A lot of times animals court us because they also want to work with us as well. And sometimes if we want to work with a specific animal, we can court them as well and we can invite them into our dreams. They actually can also come into our dreams as well. But um, working with animals in the soul retrieval process, it's very beneficial because animals are amazing guides when we're working with the non-ordinary realms. They do. They bring a strength to us and, and, a, and a companionship as well and, and a strength of, of certain aspects of their character that is so refreshing when we're doing this work. To not, we don't have to do it all by ourselves. We have these animal guides that want to come with us and, and lead the way. Yes, Yes. <laughs> How could we forget about them? And I just interviewed, by the way, um, a couple of weeks ago, if you want to look back in the shows, check out the interview on the Shamanic Animal Medicine Guide, brand new book, information packed, beautiful, beautifully done. It's my new go-to piece. So if you're going to work with animal medicine, check that book out as well, that interview. And all right. Well, wow. This has been a great chat with you. Do you have any kind of a parting thought that you'd like to leave us with today? Always, you know, always keep to the simple, keep to the simple. If it feels good, that's the right answer. If it doesn't feel good, don't go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Can it be that easy? Really? (laughs) You know, we overcomplicate everything. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Erica, I hope I get to meet you in person. This has been just wonderful visiting with you. And and I can't wait for your next book. Do you know what you're going to write about next? Um, my next book is being published, um, Inner Traditions. They're hopefully going to send me the cover and the title next month. I hope. We'll see. Um, yeah, it's going to be on solar and lunar rights um, in Mesoamerican and in Mesoamerican curanderismo traditions of how to work with 
the cycles of the sun and the moon being the periods, you know, the morning, the afternoon, the cycles of the moon and um, what those energies emit and how to work with them, you know, for soul retrieval work as well for our own health and well-being and our own cycles. So, yeah, that's that's it's it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. I do that now. So I'm looking forward to learning more from that. And thank you for mentioning Inner Traditions. That is a publishing house that I work closely with. They've sent me several artists, um, authors and books and artists like the Animal Medicine Guide I was just talking about. So I really appreciate them and check out their whole library. Inner Traditions is the publishing company. Well, Erica, thank you so much. I do hope I get to meet you in person, but this has been a wonderful visit. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And thank you, listener, for joining us. Let us know what you thought of the show and uh, show us some love. You can support our work at journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. And if you can't do anything financially, please rate the show so that others will find it. And be sure to join us next week on Exploring Possibilities.